you're listening to the Boo Boys Podcast. Well, alright then. My name's Dalton. I am your main host for the Boo Boys. And today it's just me. We're going solo. So I figured, why not kick off October in the way that we all kind of hope everybody kicks it off. And we'll start off with just a few Halloween traditions and a couple scary stories. Because what more could you possibly need? So let's go ahead and start off with a Halloween tradition that pretty much anyone that actually celebrates Halloween will go ahead and take part in. And that's going to be the jack-o'-lantern. Now, according to the internet, basically, not that I have access to a public library or that I'd want to in this time with COVID being so crazy. So we start with a story that says that jack-o'-lanterns come from an old Irish folktale with a man called Stingy Jack who is said to have attempted to share a drink with the devil at a bar, convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin to pay so that way they wouldn't have to actually pay for the drinks. The devil thought this was a great idea, stealing and drinking, two sins. So the devil changed himself into a coin and instead of using it to pay for the drinks, Jack supposedly put the coin in his pocket where he kept a silver cross and this kept the devil from turning back into his original form. Jack then told the devil that if he agreed to leave Jack alone for a full year, and if he died within that year, the devil was not allowed to take his soul. The devil obliged, and Jack went on his life for the next year, totally fine, no issues, whatever. After that year, the devil came back to Jack. And Jack asked the devil to pick him a piece of fruit off a tall tree. Why the devil would do this? I don't know, it sounds kind of fake to me, but let's just go along with it. When the devil climbed up the tree, Jack had carved a cross into the bark so the devil could no longer come down from the tree. He promised Jack that he would leave him alone for 10 years, and if he died, his soul would not go to hell. Jack let the devil down, though only a few years after their bet was made, Jack died. But the devil kept his word and did not take him to hell, though God did not like how many deals he had made with the devil and didn't want him in heaven either. So Jack was stuck between worlds. The devil, feeling bad for Jack, decided to give him a burning coal to light his way through the dark. Lost and unclaimed into the night, Jack put the coal into a carved turnip. So it seems over the years, we went from carving these small, little beaten up turnips to larger canvases, the pumpkins. And it's gone from being these ugly little turnips into cute little traditional festive pieces. It's said that if you light a jack-o'-lantern by carving a face and adding a candle or some sort of glowing inside and leave it upon your doorstep, It'll help scare off any evil spirits that may want to harm you on All Hallows' Eve. Though, that's just a myth. One very fun Halloween tradition that, for some reason, we've stopped doing is in the 1700s, women would toss apple peels over their shoulders on Halloween and hope that the peels would land on the floor and spell out their husband's initials. Scottish fortune tellers would also tell young women to assign several potential suitors' names to hazelnuts. And once they threw all those nuts in the fire at the same time, the nut that burned down to an ash rather than popped or cracked would reveal who their future husband would be. If that doesn't remind you of middle school, I'm not sure what will. Of course, when thinking about Halloween tradition, you may think of other just random superstitions that, I, that are out there, encountering ladders and broken mirrors, and potentially spilling salt on the table. The one thing that's never really changed is the fear that some people have over black cats. Yeah, that's right, they're afraid of cats. Crazy. The spookiness of the black cat actually goes back into the Middle Ages, when dark cats were considered a symbol of the devil. And it didn't help that the felines' reputations were later accused with witches. I mean, how could you say no to such a cute little furry being that'll just 
eat you the moment you die. People started believing that the cats were a witch's familiar and gave them their weird dark magic that could potentially be used to curse people. And the two have been linked ever since. The stigma still stands. Even if you don't really think that they're attached to witches or Satan specifically, some people just don't like black cats. Have you ever wondered why the main colors of Halloween are black and orange? Well, it's said that it's a Celtic tradition to represent the death of summer with black and orange being the start of the autumn harvest season. I didn't know that, but you know, I guess that kind of makes some sense. You do see a lot more orange, unless you're me and you live in Arizona and really all you see is green and brown everywhere. But orange is definitely the color you would see during the autumn and what most basic white girls are out there wearing right now. Burnt orange with cinnamon undertones. One thing you may have never thought about is the fact that bonfires are pretty popular on Halloween. Of course, we've seen the shows and the movies of all the teenagers going out on Halloween night and having bonfires and drinking beers. But there's actually a reason for that. Traditionally, bonfires were meant to help light the way for souls seeking the afterlife. All Hallows' Eve is supposed to be when the veil is at its thinnest, and whoever may be trapped here now has an easier chance at passing over. And so it's said that the fire would help light the way for them. Candles also help too, but maybe if you're trapped in a house and someone lights a candle, it might not be as helpful. Not sure about that. Do you know bats were said to have been the harbingers of death? I know, crazy, right? Who would think that those cute, innocent little bats could ever cause mayhem and death and despair? Well, definitely the Celtic people did. You see, they would light these big, huge bonfires to help their potential ancestors cross over, and that would bring forth tons of bugs, and the bugs would bring forth tons of bats. And that would basically freak out the Celts, and they would think that that meant that death was imminent. And then it just became part of Halloween, you know? Bats, pumpkins, witches, black cats. I feel like there's a rhyme somewhere in there. Back in the day when Halloween was first becoming Halloween, people used to take their children out to go trick-or-treating. And part of that trick-or-treating, of course, as we know it, involved candy. In the middle of the 20th century, the treats kids actually received weren't really candy. They could get little trinkets or toys, maybe a coin an apple or a banana, which I guess some people still do, but who really wants an apple on Halloween? Come on. Well, the popularity of candy came in the 1950s when candy companies realized that they could actually market small, individually wrapped candies and make so much more money. And it was so much more convenient than trying to, you know, have a barrel of 150 apples. You could just have a bag of candy. Boom. Done. But then in the 1970s, Everything kind of came to a change when poisoning became a fear. No parent wanted any kind of a candy or treat that wasn't pre-wrapped by a company for fear of what could be inside. Now let's end our odd little traditions here with something that is pretty much hated by everyone, or at least tolerated by 2% of people. Going way back to the 1880s, we we find our way to the Wonderly Candy Company in Philadelphia, who decided that they should invent a candy just for our great times during Halloween. And they've created the tri-colored candy we've all come to know as candy corn. Though, many people would not have known about this candy until about 1898, when another candy company bought it out and changed the name. You see, Wonderly Candy called it Chicken Feet and sold it in boxes with a slogan, something worth crowing for. Originally, just supposed to be a fun autumn candy because, you know, corn. But because it looked so much like corn, 
it just kind of stuck. Candy corn became the name, and it rose to being super popular in the 1950s, rather than just being eaten during the fall. Of course, as better candies were developed and people realized you could give out candy bars, nobody really wanted candy corn anymore. And even though hundreds of thousands of pounds of it is sold per year, if you ask anybody on the street, most of them will tell you that they hate candy corn. Personally, I think it's kind of sweet, but it's got a little bit of a buttery undertone, and I don't hate it, but it's not my first, it's not my second, and it's not my tenth choice. <laughs> but I, if it's the last thing in the candy bowl, you know, I could have like two pieces, right? You have like two pieces, and then you're done. You know, you toss the rest of them, because you're not going to eat. So just for funsies, I decided we should have a couple of Halloween episodes all throughout October to help keep us satiated throughout this pandemic. This doesn't mean that I won't be doing my normal content, so what I've decided to do is read a couple of scary stories, or creepy stories, or just encounters of people on Reddit, on Tumblr, kind of wherever I can find them. Just things that seem like they might be a little weird. I apologize for any purring or trilling or meowing you may hear in the background. My cat has decided that she needs to be a part of this now. And since it's just me here and nobody else, we're all just going to have to deal with that. Let's dig in. Since I was a preteen, I've always loved horror movies. It might seem weird, but they've always fascinated me. I loved the thrill of the jump scares and the plots of the different movies. This love of mine, of course, didn't help fending off the nightmares and paranoia. Even though I loved the movies and wouldn't stop watching them, they still scared the shit out of me. I carried these fears into my adulthood, even though they manifest themselves in small things. For example, I can't sleep with my closet door open or the hallway door open. I also can't move my bed to a position where I can't see my bedroom door in the mirror. This may seem common, but the reason why is pretty smart. The doors in my house all make very distinct noises. The front door has a glass panel that makes a rattling noise when it shuts. The hallway door had a key attached, so when it closes, you can hear the light and metal bumping into each other. My bedroom door, on the other hand, had a noisy lock. Whenever the door opens, it sounds like a faint scraping. That's the lock inside the door. The closet door is pretty obvious. Monsters, am I right? Well, when I was younger, the doors had to be closed so that the monsters couldn't get to me. After all, what monster wouldn't give up when faced with a closed door? As soon as I grew older, the reasons became more logical and all the more terrifying. The doors stay closed so that if anyone comes in trying to harm or kill me, I'll hear the door. Of course, it won't do anything to protect me, but at least I'll know and I can look from my bed to the mirror to see the door from an angle. These were all stupid paranoid thoughts that I had because of all the horror movies I watched. But all these small rituals somehow made me feel slightly safer. Or at least I thought they did. The night before Halloween, my parents went out to a dinner party, and I was home alone. I decided to watch a scary movie in honor of Halloween. After browsing Netflix for almost an hour, I finally settled on one. It didn't have any well-known actors, and it had a cliche horror movie plot. But since I was home alone and I didn't want anything that was too terrifying, I settled in and began watching. It was about a small town girl who moved from an old house with her family. The house was creepy and supposedly haunted. How original, right? But there was something different about this one. There was no ghost. It was like a game of cat and mouse with the killer and the girl. Her parents go out and then she's left at home alone. The killer waiting to strike. He starts by cutting the electricity and then breaks in. I watched as the girl scrambled up the stairs into her room, locking it and call calling the police. She has a pocket knife, which is what she holds as she waits for him. We hear footsteps, creaking doors, the whole nine yards. 
all that cliche killer stuff. I'll spare you the details. It was pretty unoriginal. I shut off the TV as I finished and went to wash the dishes. After I had cleaned up and turned off the kitchen lights, I went to my room, closing both doors on my way there. I sat on my bed, scrolled on my phone, and suddenly the lights went out. I shrugged off my uneasiness until I heard something. The distinct, quiet rattling of glass in my front door makes. That sounds, I would say, pretty cliche, definitely. But I can't really argue with that logic. I don't like to look in mirrors when it's dark. In general, like, it could be nighttime and the lights are just off in my room. I'm just grabbing a charger, hunky-dory, you know, just walk in, grab it, and go. But I will not look in a mirror. If there are no lights and all I can see is the room from the dimness of the hallway, I won't look in the mirror, because I don't know what's going to look back at me. Let's go ahead and read our second story. Growing up, I lived in a small town that was just big enough to have a public school. My school was fairly large. There were four sections of it. One for the kindergartners, one for the elementary kids, one for the middle school kids, and one for the high school kids. Since there were only two bathrooms in the entire school, there was an extra bathroom outside of the middle school section. The bathroom was a concrete building with three urinals and two toilets inside of it. Above the sinks, there was a single mirror. I always hated going into that bathroom. There was just this creepy feeling in the air of the bathroom. That bathroom was always extremely dirty, and two of the urinals didn't flush. When I was a senior in high school, I got hired to be a night shift custodian at the very same school I attended for the last 12 years. At first, the principal was reluctant to hire me, but the school needed a custodian to clean up the place. One Thursday evening during my night shift, the other custodian told me that I needed to clean the washroom outside. I grimaced at the thought. I wanted to get it over with quickly, so I went and cleaned up the place. And when I finished, I walked over to the sink to wash my hands. I looked into the mirror and my heart almost stopped. When I looked into the mirror, I saw the reflection of bare feet dangling under the toilet stall behind me. I immediately turned around and saw nothing under the stalls. At that point, I was freaked out, so I began running to the exit. Do you know how many people use the term never look back? Well, I looked back and I will regret making that decision for the rest of my life. In that split second, I looked back. I saw something beyond horror. The mirror reflected my face. But it wasn't my face. It was this twisted, wicked version of my face. The difference was, the face in the mirror had huge black eyes. And my face's reflection had an enormous mouth. The reflection's hair was greasy and matted, and some parts of it were missing. The horrible face in the mirror grinned, and it mouthed, Come back. I screamed in terror, and I ran out of that bathroom. I didn't stop running until I reached the night shift custodian. When I told him what happened, he laughed. He told me to get back to work. Nevertheless, I quit that job, and I attended that same school for two more years. After the incident, I developed a phobia of mirrors. And when I moved into my new house in college, I destroyed all the mirrors in the house. I can't stand looking into a mirror now. There's always that lingering possibility that I'll see that horrible reflection again. Once in a while, so I don't forget how I look, I go into a public restroom, and I look at myself in the mirror. Other than that, I don't look in the mirrors anymore. See, that's exactly why I don't look in mirrors in the dark, okay? You're just you're asking for trouble, man. You're just asking for trouble. And I, you know, I like looking in the mirror, honestly. I like how I look. I don't want to ruin that. Because it would be really hard to do my hair. And I don't even do that much to it. <laughs> What'd you think, boss? Is that a good story? Yeah? 
Let's go ahead and hit our third and final story of this episode. I know, it's the end. It'll be a long one though, okay? I always thought my dad gave shitty life advice. Imagine the worst case scenario, my dad always used to say. He said it all the time growing up. I would always roll my eyes. Not that I was a naive type, who assumed everything would always go well, and that people always had good intentions, but come on. Catastrophizing everything? What's the point? No one likes a downer. Why panic yourself and get your imagination running wild on a plethora of unlikely worsts? Since when did psyching yourself out ever help anyone do a better job? Hell, if anything, psyching yourself out is the opposite direction. Fake it till you make it. Unfortunately, though, I didn't learn that lesson until I was an adult. As a kid, my dad's words, though cheerful, were probably part of why I was always kind of an outsider. I always assumed the worst. My mom tells me I never smiled. I still maintain most people never gave me a reason, but still. I had an extremely overactive imagination as a child. And as silly as I knew it was, every time my dad would tell me to remember to plan for the worst, I'd get horrific scenarios flashing through my head. Our car swerving off the road and crashing through a guardrail off of a cliff. A semi-truck plowing through six lanes of traffic and flattening us to our flimsy little family van. Going on a trip, along with packing the essentials, my dad's words would send horrific images of myself getting mugged or kidnapped or dangerously lost in a foreign city. As you can imagine, I was a popular kid. Not. I wasn't morbid or anything, but rarely smiled. And I always got picked last for group projects because nobody wanted the paranoid dweeby downer on their team. I hated it. I hated the negativity, the fear permeated my life. When even the smallest things would go wrong, I'd be racked with anxiety and fear. Once, when I was 10, my mom was late to pick me up from my after-school program. I wore out the carpet, pacing the window in the front, biting my nails until my fingers bled, shuddering as I imagined my mother laying in a ditch somewhere, getting murdered or slowly bleeding out in the wreckage of a car accident. By the time my mother arrived, only about 10 minutes late because of traffic, I was a sobbing, screaming mess on the floor. That night, I heard my parents talking after I'd gone to bed. I had my ear pressed to the door and could only pick out snippets. You realize how much it scares her? You could tone it down with the catastrophizing everything, Eric. Understand how serious it is. I'm only trying to protect her. Oh, come on. You know you believe in it. It's been years. You're probably just paranoid. I didn't understand what they meant, and I quickly forgot about it. I really should have listened. It took years for me to unlearn. Even when I was out of the house in college, without his constant reminders, I still couldn't stop the terrifying images that filled my head without warning. Depending on what I was about to do, I fought it. Hard. Every time, I found myself thinking, what's the worst that could happen? I told myself to relax, to calm down. Being prepared was enough. It was hard, even at random moments sometimes. It would creep in. I'd be driving alone in my car, or walking into my house, and I'd flinch as I imagined something horrible like bullets spraying from my windshield, or the building collapsing on top of me. Sometimes I could almost feel the pain of the bullets tearing into my flesh, hear my own screaming as I'm pinned to the ground and falling debris. I was angry for so long, convinced that my dad gave me some sort of complex. If only I had understood why. Sophomore year, my roommate, Becca, had this idea for a fantastic spring break camping trip. At least after a year and a half away from home at this point, I had been away long enough to shake the paranoia that had followed me my entire life, even if my imagination still liked to catastrophize. Becca had found a deal on some really nice cabins near a lake with a resort, and she was already ooing and aahing over how much fun it would be, and what the best way to pick up the local boys would be. 
As soon as we got ready to leave, I remembered my dad's old words. You know, my dad always liked to tell me to imagine the worst and plan for it. My imagination was fucked up as a kid. I'd imagine the entire family getting murdered, but like, how the fuck do you plan to avoid that? Becca laughed as she tossed her suitcase into the back. Jeez, no wonder you're so cheerful all the time. You need to relax. She grinned and tossed her long red curls over her shoulder, snapping her gum as she climbed into the front seat. In fact, don't you dare imagine the worst. This trip is going to be the bomb. So I didn't. We cranked up the radio and laughed about school and boys, and who in our dorm was doing who. It was wonderful. I couldn't remember the last time I'd felt so relaxed going on a trip. By the time we arrived, the sun was setting, fiery red and orange, looking almost like a sky full of spilled blood over the lake. It was beautiful, but I couldn't help the shiver that ran down my spine as Becca parked the car. I found myself thinking back again to my dad's words. Why was he always so obsessed with the worst that could always happen? You okay? She glanced over at me, raising an eyebrow. It was the first time I'd frowned since we'd left, and I immediately felt bad from ruining the mood. I'm fine. This is going to be great. You're right. Life is so much more fun when you don't imagine the horrible things happening to you all the time. I laughed, putting my momentary unease out of my mind. It was silly. How on earth did my dad manage to enjoy life at all with such a paranoid, backwards way of thinking? We went to bed early that night. Becca wanted to start early the next day on her mission to pick up cute local boys. And though I wasn't as interested in picking up a member of the male species myself, Becca needed a wingman and I was tired from the drive anyway. I don't know why I woke up. There was no sound, nothing strange that should have woken me up, but for some reason I found myself wide awake in the middle of the night. Becca and I were sharing a queen bed in the guest room, and she was snoring softly next to me as I woke up, heart pounding with my dad's warning echoing in my head once again. My heartbeat was deafening in my ears, and I could feel my usual paranoia creeping in. I gritted my teeth and sat up. No, not this time. I wouldn't let that stupid paranoia and catastrophizing ruin this trip as well. The night was warm and there was a pretty view of the lake from the balcony. That should be relaxing, I thought. I went downstairs to the kitchen for a glass of water. As I shut off the tap, I thought I heard what sounded for a brief moment like the crunch of footsteps on the driveway outside. I froze. Nothing except crickets and the faint breeze through the trees along with the faint sounds of whooping and laughter in the distance from other spring breakers still partying on the beach. I scoffed at myself as I walked out to the balcony. I really was letting that old paranoia get to me. My dad was just cautious and paranoid. I sipped my water and I looked out over the dark lake. Now in the darkness, it looked like a big black hole, dark and looming, bottomless, ready to suck you in. It was like a big dark mouth, a big dark mouth that was whispering my dad's old words to me. Remember to think about the worst thing that could happen. Before I could stop myself, my imagination was at it again. I saw myself laying in bed, helpless as a masked thug slipped my throat, and I saw the cabin crushed under a fallen tree. I saw myself tripping, falling over the balcony and slipping over the edge and tumbling down, down into the bottomless, gaping black maw of the lake, tossed around like a rag doll by the current, my body smashed into the rocks into hundreds of pieces. Searing pain shot through my head and stars erupted in front of my eyes. I'd been so consumed by my paranoid imagination that I stumbled and hit my head on the railing. I tasted blood and I fell back. Lying stunned for a moment, if anything, I almost found it darkly amusing that for a moment, there it was, the worst that could have certainly happened, totally unanticipated. Somehow though, even though I laid on the deck with the world spinning around me, dazed from the pain in my head, the paranoia was gone. I felt almost relaxed. I must have hit my head pretty hard, though, because 
I thought I heard voices for a brief second as I was passing out. Male voices. Something about getting out of here. It must have been the wind. I wasn't sure because the stars in front of my eyes were going dark and I couldn't hear anything else. And when I woke up, it was still dark. And I felt stupid for letting my paranoia get the best of me like that. It had never been that bad before. But also, now that I imagined that horrible stuff, I was strangely relaxed. I felt good about the trip, and I went back to the kitchen to refill my glass and clean the blood off of my forehead. I'd gashed it pretty bad when I stumbled. I noticed that the front door was ajar, and I shut it, shaking my head like, damn, we must have been pretty tired when we got here. At least Becca isn't snoring anymore, I thought as I crawled back into bed. Hopefully this awful night will be over soon, and we can get straight into having fun the next day. The sound of Becca's phone alarm woke me up. I groaned and snuggled deeper into the blankets, wondering why she wasn't turning it off. Becca, are you going to get that? She didn't budge, which is unusual. She's usually such a light sleeper. For some reason, I felt like I was soaked in a cold sweat, which didn't make sense since it was so nice and sunny. Bex? I rolled my eyes and propped myself up, leaning over to her to shut off the alarm. She rolled over limply. That's when I realized in a cold sweat wasn't actually that. I was lying in a puddle of blood. I frowned. Had my head wound opened up overnight? As I reached up to touch it, I looked and froze in shock. The closet was open, and our stuff was thrown around everywhere. I felt a cold prickle up my spine. Beck? Becca? Did you get up last night? I leaned over to shake her. Becca? That's when I realized where the blood was actually coming from. A split second after I realized how cold her skin was. As I shook her, Becca flopped onto her back, eyes wide open, staring at nothing. Before I even registered, the sight of her throat slit bloody my dad's voice was echoing in my head. Remember to think about the worst thing that could happen. And then Becca's, don't you dare. It could have been a coincidence. A freak accident. But I know better. He was just trying to protect me. And now I relish in the images. I don't go out much anymore. I'm afraid I'll forget to think of something that might happen. Now I think about it all day. Every day. I imagine my death imagining every possible horrible scenario that could befall me. I see my body being destroyed thousands of ways every time I close my eyes. It's all a small price to pay. I'm not afraid of any of them happening to me anymore. Nothing I've ever imagined has happened to me. Now the only thing I fear is the things I can't imagine. All the things that are far too horrible for me to, ma to imagine. And that's why I'm begging Ethan, please, you have to help me. I don't know what I'm missing. I thought I... I've thought of monsters, murders, disasters, everything. What am I missing? What's the most worst thing that could happen? Well, damn, that's, that's a bit of a story. Hopefully we all have a better Halloween than that, even if you do imagine all the worst case scenarios. I know I've definitely caught myself doing that in a time or two, but if you only focus on that, you'll never see the good that comes through. But if you only focus on the good, you won't be expecting the bad either. If you have any other stories or any recommendations that you want to hear or would like more info into, you can email me at booboyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, you know, basically any type of communication platform. I'm probably on it. And if I'm not on it, send me an email and I'll join it. Because why not? I look at my phone all day. I need more things to look at. Keep listening. I'm going to be posting more Halloween episodes this month aiming for at least one a week so we'll test it out what do you think boss yeah time to go okay well my name's dalton this has been a boo boys episode follow me in all the social media aspects that you can 
Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, <laughs> anything you want, you can communicate with me. I'm pretty good at messaging back, so talk to me. Bye. <laughs>